0: Show you a better way Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is September the 1st, 2016. It's a Thursday. That means it's the listener's call, listener call show. This is where you call into eight six six sixty five. 866-65-THINK, 866 T H I N K, and uh, it is all about you guys because you make that call today. And I have a whole bunch of calls lined up today. I think it took more than normal because there were so many good ones that came in this past week. And frankly, I didn't even get to screen them all. There were so many good ones. A lot of times, I uh, I end up going through all the calls to find you know seven, eight good ones. In this case, I, I found plenty of good ones before I got them all done. So. uh if you uh, if you called in this week and you don't hear your call next week, uh, think it's a quantity issue, and consider remaking your call. Here are the calls I have today. 1st leadoff lead-off call is a tough one. I almost feel like I'm doing, uh, you know, a Dr. Phil something or, or another here, and I'm going to do my best with it. But dealing with extremely negative and toxic family members where just, like, walking away isn't really an option. Um, eating trapped wild rabbits will be our second call, our third call will be how reality can motivate preparedness, and even those that are not the preparedness-minded. And we're going to talk about how to make your own mayo. I had a listener call and say, yeah, Jack, I want to know how to do that. It's actually Alton Brown's method, but I'll give it to you, and I'll tell you why it is safe to make your own mayo with raw eggs. It really, really is. And why not putting it in the refrigerator at first is part of making it safe. (laughs) You're going to learn something today. Most of you don't know this, I'll bet. Uh, Self-learning machines have come to the recycling sector, and uh, and the listener has... uh, Story about that, and I have a little synchronicity. Synchronicity will actually play a pretty big role today in the show on a few things, but uh, I have some synchronicity about uh, how automation can show up in places you don't expect it, even when it's not itself there. Roundabout talk? Not really. You'll see. Uh, Thoughts on morality of using government funded programs? If you're a libertarian and you have an opportunity, but that opportunity comes with government money, should you walk away from it? Uh, Probably not. It depends on what it is. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll also talk about why the news is always full of fear, danger, and horrible things from someone who didn't watch or pay attention to the news for like a decade and now got a news app on their phone. It's like, holy crap, what is wrong with people? I'll I'll talk about that one. Uh, we will look at the fact that the government once again passed a law and then said, but it doesn't apply to us. Uh, one of those things like sometimes they exempt themselves from things you go, well, for the government to function if there's going to be a government, I guess you could kind of make an ex- you know i it's kind of like you know security clearances they, 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 no one can see this, but if you have a clearance, you can, and I have to have a clearance because I have to make a law about okay, maybe you know that type of thing, but uh no, this one there's no good reason for other than they just didn't want it to apply to themselves, and we will uh finish up today with kind of a follow up on the airsoft show, a question about comparing. Uh, CO2-based lead pellet guns and, and other pellet guns uh, to airsoft guns when it comes to using them as training tools? And uh pretty good question. Lots of good questions this week. Anyway, we'll get to all of those and more. And just a bit before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our two sponsors of the day. Hey folks, if silver and gold are not part of your current economic preparedness plan, they should be. In fact, for over eight years, I have recommended that listeners keep five to 10% of their wealth in precious metals as a wealth assurance program. And JM Bullion is my personal choice for all my precious metal purchases. They offer some of the best pricing in the industry and free shipping on top of it. Check out JMBullion.com to learn more. Hey guys, what do you call a gun without ammo? Well, I call it an overpriced club, or perhaps a way to get a loan at a pawn shop. So I keep a good supply of ammo around, and I always shop BulkAmmo.com when I need more. With shipping that's so fast you'll wonder how they do it, all the common calibers and a discount for MSV members on top of it, check out BulkAmmo.com today and give them a shot at your business. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode of the year. is 1862, and as you might imagine, in 1862, the Civil War dominates the landscape. We have the Battle of Shiloh and the KKK. We have Fr- Freedom by Proclamation, and we have the Texas Housewife Riots. And in other news, the first true bicycle is built. A baby carriage maker adds a gear mechanism and pedals to the dandy horse and invents the bicycle. Uh, photosynthesis is discovered. A German botanist finds that starches are produced in plants through interactions of chloroplasts and light. And Victor Hugo publishes Les Miserables. Uh, an ex-convict seeks redemption as he's chased all over France by an insane police inspector. Uh, I'm going to read Freedom by Proclamation because it's important, I think, that we don't have misgivings about What was really going on in this country in regard to the question of slavery and to the question of racism? I think that we have blurred those two issues to the point where we can't see straight any longer, so I'll have a bit of a different take than Alex does. President Abraham Lincoln wants to pay the slave states to free their slaves and apparently ship them to Liberia. This was Henry Clay's old idea, and it isn't working for Lincoln either. The northern states want slavery stopped Now, Several Union generals have freed slaves in their areas of responsibility. Lincoln writes, As commander-in-chief of the Army and Navy in time of war, I suppose I have a right to take any measure which may best subdue the enemy. Meanwhile, the Republican Congress passes the Second Confiscation Act, which calls for the seizure of property from disloyal citizens and freeing of slaves within Union jurisdiction. There is something in there about treason and death. Lincoln has only one card left to play, or be rendered politically irrelevant. Perhaps a limited emancipation, but no, he needs some good news. Before he can act, McCle- McClellan's bloody victory at Antietam gives Lincoln his opening. He announces the effective of January 1, 1863. All slaves in the states currently in rebellion are free. The Emancipation Proclamation is limited to areas covered under his war powers, with fear and trepidation, is committed. Later, we'll call it uh, his crowning achievement, but right now it looks more like he is betting all his money on a pair of jacks. Quote, If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing some and leaving others alone, I would do that. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps save the Union. And what I forbear, I forbear, because I do not believe it would help save the Union. And I intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free. Abraham Lincoln in response to criticism for his Emancipation Proclamation freeing the slaves. My take by Alex Shrugged, Of course, Lincoln's original argument about paying to free the slaves had a fundamental flaw. It presumed that the slaves were property and not people. People are people. You might ransom them, but you don't pay them. All, you don't pay for them. In the past, the United States avoided wars by paying off its enemies, but those wars were over land, which, let me check my legal dictionary. Oh, yes, land is property. Granted, many of the abolitionists were insane, but they were right, and the slave idea is wrong. I'll, I'll just propose a moral question. If we could have paid the South for the slaves and set them free, in some manner of speaking, and bought their freedom, would it have been morally better than for tens and hundreds of thousands of people to have died in a war. So it may not be uh, a good idea to negotiate with terrorists for ransom, but I think maybe that plan, if it, it it couldn't work. It wasn't going to happen, but it could have. M- but my take here <clears throat> is completely different because I think this actually shows something that's going on in this country that people don't get about the Civil War and about racism versus slavery, It is simply the case that there were a lot more black people in the South than in the North prior to the Civil War. Because the South had slaves, and the North by and large didn't, though some territories within the North's control did have slavery. Okay, I'm talking about the North after the split, after secession and the Civil War beginning. But there was just less black people in the South than in the North. And what history has led us to believe is that the South wanted slavery because they liked keeping slaves and that slavery was beneficial to the South, uh, and and, and slavery in particular was beneficial to the average Southern citizen. It most certainly was not. It was most certainly not beneficial. Slavery benefited the elite. Slavery benefited the 1%. Only about 2% of Americans in total, not just the South, in total, ever actually owned slaves. 2% the elite, the wealthy. There were some poor people that might have had a slave that was inherited or something like that, and I'm not belittling the X. the whole thing's evil, but I'm just saying, like, you got to look at the context of the economics here. By having slavery in this country, many people who could have found work could not find work. Because it's much easier to have a slave who's pay nothing or a small allowance to, to take care of the the few things the master didn't want to take care of and given a shack to live in and can be traded for, for other goods and commodities. doesn't quit on you. doesn't go work for somebody with, uh, with more competition. You could sell them to your competition if you need capital. That's all economically better for a ruling power elite in this time than a workforce that they had to compete for. So you have to ask yourself, why would so many southern people go to war on the side of slavery and the side of the south it wasn't for states rights i mean the premise was states rights because it was been states rights over slavery okay and like i said if you if you took slavery out of the equation the south was right but you can't it's impossible so the south's wrong because it wasn't about state rights for any legitimate purpose but rather for the purpose of imprisonment of others So why would a southern boy, an 18-year-old kid, a farmhand, on a small farm that never had a slave, be willing to fight a war? Why would there be so much public support within the South that so many people would willingly go to war? I mean, you could have left. Technically, you couldn't, but you could have. And some did, I'm sure. It was a lot easier to, to, to draft Dodge in the Civil War than it would be, let's say, in the Vietnam War. I mean, going from one state to the other was like going to another country before the war between the states. It was racism. It was racism. It was, well, if these slaves are freed, they'll all be here. They'll all be here. And now we won't just have them taking up these shitty agricultural jobs that, yeah, that sucks, but we've kind of adapted to that now. Now they'll be competing for other jobs. They'll be, they'll be in our schools. They'll, they'll be voting it was racism because the blacks were seen as this inferior group of people that lived over here. And that you were, see, it's so easy to look back with loathing on these men that felt that way. And these women that felt that way, but you don't realize that you would be that way if you were raised to be that way. That it takes, it takes a lot to break a cycle of racism. It's someone raised by a racist family. I can tell you it takes, and today's different. It's much easier for, for people like me that had racist parents that grew up in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s to break the pattern because society was really breaking the pattern. Imagine a time when every black person you'd ever known was a slave and you were taught from birth that that was their destiny. That's what the way they were supposed to be. It takes a higher level of thinking to break that. And again, understand, you're not talking about the most educated people in the world. People don't understand. This country was a third world country at the time of the Civil War as we would judge it today, compared to, let's say, France or England. We were a rising military and economic power, but in many ways, when it came to the general citizen, we were a third-world, undereducated nation. And that was the real reason that the South, and that's where the rise of the KKK came from. You notice there wasn't a movement to, to reinstitute slavery. It was about separation. It was about hatred. And it was institutionalized hatred. It's something we don't ever want to talk about. Because we want to make it like, well, the North won and then it was just some racist left over. There was racism on both sides. Lincoln, in my opinion, was certainly for the freedom of blacks, but he wasn't for the equality of blacks. Especially within the United States. He wanted to get all black people out of this country. He's not the hero that he's been made out to be. And, uh... I don't know. I look now and I see this this resurgence of racism in our country. And all I can think is all of the people that are part of it on both on all sides cuz it's not just one race versus another. Whether it's guilting white people for their supposed privilege or whether it's 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 hateful racism from the few, you know, from the whites that remain or the blacks that are that are racist against white people, it's all crap. And if you look back, it's disgusting the opportunity that exists today that people cling to it, use it as excuses both to attack and excuses for not going out and doing the best that they can for themselves. More things change, the more they stay the same. Hopefully in this case we're beginning to move past it. I had a much better view of humanity from the standpoint of racism 10 years ago than I do today. I think that in the last decade, race relations in this country have returned somewhere to the point of where they were about 1980 instead of where they were, let's say, in the year 2005, 2006. i leave it to you to figure out why. And now for our first question of the day. Um, kind of a heavy topic leading to, leading to a heavy question, but uh, lots of variety today, so hang in there, guys. And uh, this person, I'm really going to do my best to help.
1: Hi, Jack. What are some practical ways of interacting with naysayers who you can't just ignore or cut out of your life? Details. My husband and I just got married about three months ago, Since then, we've moved our stuff across four states to a storage unit, traveled to Africa on a work trip, quit one job to start another, and are counting down the days until we close on the house so we don't have to be homeless in the woods anymore. We are thrilled to be close to reaching many of our goals, including living in a place we love with land that we can work with. In the course of this this exciting time, I spent three weeks with my in-laws because they live in the area where we are moving. And it was an eye-opening experience for me. While I think that they genuinely want to help, they do this with pretty consistent criticism of my life choices. They offer ample, unsolicited advice that is often based in fear and negativity. After I spend time with them, my world feels upside down with shame and doubt. They provide ample reasons why different dreams and ideas won't ever work, even to the point of telling us to move back to where we came from. I have a job I love with a great salary. My husband is smart and creative, and I'm excited to see him have the opportunity to explore options from starting a brewery to growing a small farm to whatever he can dream up. It's hard to watch his parents bring negativity and doubt into our vision. It seems there is a fundamental clash in our values. I believe in choosing curiosity over judgment, choosing perspective over blame, and hoping for the best and being willing to face disappointment. So my question was, how do we relate to naysayers? More specifically, in my case, how do my husband and I respectfully interact with his parents while setting good boundaries? I want a relationship with them, but I don't know how to engage with their negativity, shame, and cynicism. I'm really hoping to find some good strategies as we are about to live about twenty miles away from them. Thanks for your show. We listen all the time.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna come at this in a couple different ways because it's a it's a it's actually a much broader problem than you would think. First of all, I would say it's probably a good idea for you to sit down with your husband and maybe have him listen to my entire answer, uh, including some follow-up when I do the closing song at the end and some advice I have for some things that are part of personal philosophy. But this is what I believe, and I have this conversation with my son whenever necessary. In a household, when you have a man and a woman in a marriage, it is almost equal. A man is a 50.01% uh, dictator in certain situations when leadership is called for and especially when the problem is on his side of the family, his parents. This is time for you, in my opinion, for your husband to say, listen, we've heard your concerns without you, by the way, without you. We've heard your concerns and whenever anything, right, I, I need you to listen to me for five minutes. I need you to close your mouth, open your ears so that we can have a good relationship. This is a loving thing, but I need you to listen for me because I don't want our relationship damaged. We have heard your concerns. We have heard your negativity. I'm a grown man. I'm the head of my household, and I support my wife, and she supports me. And if we're going to have a good relationship, you need to take these things that you're concerned about, understand that we've heard them, and we're done with them. And if we want your advice on them, we will ask for them. Until then, let's talk about things that we all agree with so we can have a good relationship as a family. And if you can't do that, then we're not going to be spending much time with you. If that comes from you, it will be an effing disaster. If that comes from him, if it's a disaster, it needs to be for right now. It needs to be for right now. Being blood related does not give you the right to do harm emotionally to another person. And you you're, you're not entitled to a relationship with someone if you're going to be toxic in their lives, okay? So I think it would be a good idea for that conversation to be had, uh maybe not my exact words, and it but it doesn't need to be any longer than that. It needs to be pretty brief. It needs to be simply, listen, we have things in our life we're trying to accomplish, and we're doing well right now. And, and we're not interested in you telling us it's not going to work. We're not interested in you telling us to move back where we came from. We have our own home that we're moving into. We'll be fine. If you want to be part of our life, you need to be a positive part of our life. If you want to be a negative part of our life, we will separate from you until you change your mind. We're not here telling you all the things that you, we think you're doing wrong and all the mistakes we think you are or have made, we're here to be supportive of you. We expect the same thing. Thank you. That may be difficult for him to do. It would be the best thing, and it would probably end 90% of it. However, this is also a case where you are now into a situation where you have to face a reality that everybody has to face, and that is that... You cannot control another person. You can only control your reactions to them. So one of the first ways you can control your reaction to a person behaving this way is to understand the reasons for their behavior. First and foremost, I want to give you a quote by Cynthia Acele that is, When people seek to undermine your dreams, predict your doom, or criticize you, remember they are telling you their story, not yours. What it sounds to me like is you're talking to people that always play it safe and never took risks. And people like that, as they get older, always regret, I wish I would have, I wish I would have, I wish I would have. But remember, it's everybody's fault but mine is is the the go-to in human instinct, especially in our modern society. So when I feel negative about that, it's not my fault that I couldn't. It was too hard. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. So when somebody else does it, there's a natural animosity. I mean, you guys are just moving wherever you want. You're going off of traveling the world. You're coming back. You're getting a job, and he's going to be an entrepreneur and figure out what he wants to do. Oh, I wish I would have done that, but as soon as I think that, I feel bad about it. Therefore, I have to attack it. So understand that's part of what you're dealing with there. She's, I'm betting it's more the mother-in-law than the father-in-law, I'm just saying. She's not attacking you. She's attacking her own failures through you. It's, it's a reverse of a dad over-exuberant in their child's little league baseball career because they could have made it in the majors and they know they never could have, but they have this belief that if these two, three things didn't happen, I would have been something. And I'm, like, and I'm living vicariously through my son pushing too much of the positive. It's just the converse of that. That's all that it is. The other thing is... A parent has a vision for their child, male or female, in this case male, that when they grow up, this will be the type of life they will have. Some have a very loose vision. Some have a very tight vision. The tighter that vision is, the greater the disappointment will be because it will never match. So the tighter the vision of they'll grow up, they'll get a job, they'll go to college, they'll blah, 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 blah. There's some parents down to they can literally see the color of the house that they'll own, how many kids they have, and how many will be boys and how many will be girls. And the tighter that vision of a parent is, that the, the more they've wanted that for their child, the more disappointed they'll be in everything connected to their child's future, including their partner or their spouse. Because, well, everything that's not what I expected is her fault or his fault. See? That's another dynamic that you're dealing with there. Next, no person is perfect and every parent, whenever their their son or daughter finds someone, feels, well, I could have done better. This isn't really what I want. And we see first the flaws in a son-in-law or daughter-in-law rather than the strengths. And since we all have flaws, there's always flaws to see. So that's another dynamic. And that's a typical dynamic. And that's, if, if people want to, it's actually a pretty easy one to get through. But I think a hard line needs to be drawn by your husband. that We're, we're not interested anymore at all, in hearing what you don't like about what we're doing, unless we're engaged in truly destructive behavior. If I get, you know, become an alcoholic, if I'm starting to use heroin or something like that, if I'm robbing liquor stores, we're, you're welcome to intervene. Otherwise, if we're living our lives as adults, if you don't like something, you can give us advice about it when we ask for it. Again, that should come from him, not you. It should be done very lovingly, but it should be, I'm, I'm stepping up and I'm taking care of my wife, and you need to respect that. And that's honestly his duty. That when someone is harming you, to step up and defend you, even if that's his own parents. I would expect nothing less from my son, if we were doing something like this, to his wife. I would expect my son to step up to me and say, knock it off. And I would respect it. Okay? That's another thing. Here's yet another thing. This goes on in all human dynamics. And I'm going to recommend a book that you get a hold of and read, at least like the first half of it, even if you're not into the spirituality component of it. It's called The Celestine Prophecy. And it discusses, this is a, a Jungian principle, uh, the four control dramas of human beings. And once you recognize the pattern of human control drama, it's much easier to withdraw us from somebody else's control. And it's also easier to see your own and therefore abstain from it as much as possible. So there's, there's four primary control dramas. There are poor me's, there are aloof's, there are interrogators, and there are intimidators. And almost all human conflict... And you don't have to be shooting people for there to be conflict. This this what you're describing as a conflict. Works around those dynamics. And these people sound like interrogators that move toward intimidation. Okay? So let's look at all four of them and understand them. And this is why I think this will help a lot of people, because this will help you no matter what your human interactions and conflicts are in dealing with people. When you look at the poor me, it's pretty obvious what the poor me is. The poor me is, oh, I wish I could... They're pathetic. And and, and and the more you tell them to knock it off, the more victim they become. And they try to draw you into their drama with, you don't know what it's like to be me. It was never that hard for you. Oh, my God. These are these are people that claim they had PTSD because they had an argument with somebody or something like that. Okay, Poor me. The next one is aloof. Aloofs are the people that just kind of are aloof. They... When when they want to draw you in and suck you into their world, they just withdraw and they don't talk to you. These are people that give the silent treatment. These are people that, you know, when you try to talk to them, they just ignore you. It's it's actually one of the least effective dramas, and it's why people that are aloof tend to be very, very frustrated unless they're people that are very happy being alone. Because it, 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 poor me, interrogation, intimidation are much more effective. That's not better. All of these things are bad because they're about manipulating other people, and it's about conflict over energy. And I don't mean energy in some mystical way. I mean the energy that is human thought and human feeling and human control. When we dominate somebody, whether it's a sport or an argument, we feel good. We've taken from them, right? But it's a short lived. It's like a high. It goes away. Aloofs have a very hard time gaining much from it. So it's one of the easier ones to break. It also gets a lot of times wrapped up with being shy. So shy and aloof is what are not the same thing as ones about control. Even And all this is usually subconscious, by the way. Okay, interrogation. Interrogation is probably the most effective method of control. If the person is intelligent and knows how to push people's buttons You start asking people questions that you already know the answer to, and you start leading them where you want them to go. That sounds very much what's like at least attempting to be done here. Well, you know this isn't going to work. Look at how things like that. That's interrogation. Why do you think you can do this? Whatever. And then intimidation is just interrogation taken to the next level. And it is, well, if you do this, then I'm not going to support you, or I'm not going to help you. or Why don't you just go back where you came from? We don't even want you if this is what you're going to be doing, as though you're, you know, robbing orphans for a living or something like that. That's in, it, that's when you're moving toward intimidation. Well, maybe you should just go back where you came from. Why? Because I have a dream that's different than you have. Okay, that's the dynamic that's going on, and and if you read that book, it's just to put it it's an, into a narrative. Uh, even if you don't like the rest of the story, it, it'll make more sense to you, and you'll develop pattern recognition, and when you see the behavior, you'll recognize this is, inti- this is intimidation. This is interrogation. So when you know someone's interrogating you, what do you do if the police are interrogating you? You stop answering questions. Right? You can call that being aloof, and each of these do have a, a yin and yang. And parents create in their children... The, the opposite of what they are. Interrogators create loops Intimidators create poor me's. And the most manipulative people that are highly intelligent, without even knowing it's what they've done, learn to move through all four to fit the situation. And those that have no guilt about it are the psychopaths that run your country. So... What you have is a woman that feels like you've taken her little boy away. You've changed what she had envisioned for him. And if you asked her, "What do you want him to be?" she'd say, "Whatever he wants." Well, unless it's not what I want, right? So you have to you have to draw a line. But then you also have to say, "Well, if we're going to have a relationship with these people, some of this stuff we're just going to let go." And I think I mean one of the things that'd be hard for me not to say in these situations is, "I'm sorry that you're afraid of things." But I'm grateful that that's not a contagious disease because I'm not. And your fear won't spread to me. Please stop trying to do this to me. We know what we're doing. And for God's sakes, you have a good job that pays well. What's the problem? You know, it sounds to me like you have a group of people with this ideal of the way things should be. The man should make more money than when The man should have a good job. Maybe even the woman should stay home and make a home or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. But I think what you have to do at this point is understand something else. You are about to get your house. Twenty miles away is far enough away to not be bothered when you don't want to. Hell, two miles is. And what you have to do is lay a, lay a line down and say, you know, if every time we're going to interact, we're going to hear about all the things we're doing wrong, we're just not going to, you know, since you suggested that we leave, we'll just take a break from each other. Don't say, I don't want to see you, Things because like, you do want a relationship. But it, when you have a relationship with somebody and they're being predatory, and that's what this is, then you create the separation. You define the boundaries, and you maintain them. You don't yell. You don't raise your voice. It's difficult to do sometimes. Because what happens is people hold this stuff in for so long that when it finally gives in, they snap. They flip out. And then there's the serious damage is done. And then the person that you flipped out on ends up giving, going into poor me mode and ends up pulling you back in and has control over you. Or if you say, you know what, I see that today we are going down this path again, and I appreciate your opinion. However, I've heard enough of it today. We'll be leaving. Bye. Not mad. Not in a tiff. Not the way you do when you have a a fight with your husband and you say everything's fine and you walk away. Not like that. Chill and calm like, I hate to put it this way, but like a man. Like a man does when they're just, they're just done. They're not mad. They're just done. You know what? Okay. Um, We've discussed this and we're doing this again. We're not here for this today. So it's either going to stop now and we can talk about things like football game or the weather or anything else. Or we can continue down this path and we're going to have to leave. And the next time it comes out, I see. And you leave. You define find the boundary. Because they have no right to that. So this is where we, we feel like, since I want a relationship with them, since they're family, they have a right to this discussion. They have no right to that discussion. None not at all. No more so than any other person. Now, you have an obligation to be more cordial in your dismissal, but you have no, no obligation to not create the dismissal. But in this, have some sympathy, some pity Because when people seek to undermine your dreams, predict your doom, or criticize you, remember they are telling you their story, not your own. You have a wonderful life ahead of you. Go live it. And when you begin to live it to its fullest, they'll either be happy for you or resentful. And if they're resentful, no matter how much blood relation there is, the problem must be theirs and not yours. That's the best I can do with this for now, but I really want you to listen very carefully when I talk about the closing song today and synchronicity. Cause I think that might encourage you as well. With that, let's go ahead and take something totally different. And, uh, we're way into the show now on time, but man, I think that, uh, I think that this answer probably helped a lot of people. And I think, I think you should feel good about that. Let's take another one.
2: Hey, Jack, Mick calling from Chester County, PA, with a question on rabbits. Uh, simply put, any reason not to catch, kill, cook, and eat a wild rabbit? Uh, the details, I have some rabbits that are getting in, uh, causing a little damage in my yard and garden, and um want to eliminate that problem. I'm not ready to keep rabbits at this point, but I thought, well, hey, why don't I just uh, catch it in my little have-a-heart, cook it up, eat it, and... And all that. But I wasn't sure if there was any concerns with wild rabbits, um, if there's worms or any weird things like that that they get or problems that they're susceptible to uh, that they might pass along um, by consuming them. So I would love to hear an answer on that. Thanks so much for all you do.
0: Well, there's, there's two myths we're going to dispel today with this question, and we're going to focus more on that than the direct answer. Because the answer is, if you, if you, if you kill a rabbit with a rock to its head, a bullet through its body, or because it got caught in a trap, and you, uh, did a cervical dislocation, or, or you shot it with a pellet gun in the head after it's trapped, it's a dead rabbit. You can eat it. Cottontail rabbits are good to eat. I've eaten a lot of cottontails in my life. Uh, I grew up hunting and fishing, and, uh, we were not the people that wouldn't shoot a rabbit because the bird dog jumped it, because then the bird dog would chase rabbits, because the bird dog got a rabbit, we got a rabbit, the bird dog got a bird, we got a bird, we were there for food, not for posing for pictures with pretty pheasants, Okay? So I ate lots of rabbits, and everybody I grew up with ate rabbits, and they're a pretty damn good uh, source of protein. Uh, they're small, they don't have a lot of meat on them, and they have almost no fat. Now, you're going to hear this, we'll never eat a rabbit in a month without an R in it. Because you get worms. Wah, wah, wrong, wrong answer. I know i got people going, Blasphemer! No, I'm sorry. Let's think about the different types of worms a rabbit could get. Rabbits, rabbits could get worms under their skin. And if you're under a rabbit's skin, you're the rabbit's body temperature. So when the temperature goes down to 30 degrees versus 80 degrees, skin temperature in the rabbit is the same. So the worms would not die just because it got cold. The other place you could end up with worms on a rabbit is in its intestines, which will be the rabbit's body temperature, not the air temperature, so that doesn't work either. Not to mention people that raise rabbits, you know, and keep them in cages and stuff like that, uh and keep them some people do pastured rabbit. Uh they slaughter their rabbits without worm problems or something like that, uh in the in the uh you know, the the, the summertime and so won won. I can keep going for those of you that think there's really a concern over this. Um, one of the things that may be more prevalent on rabbits in the summer is fleas and ticks. That's definitely an issue. So if I had trapped a rabbit and it was tore up with fleas or ticks, I would I would discard that rabbit. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it. As far as the worms, the warbles and things like that, that can get under the hide, um, well... Uh, if I found a rabbit like that, I probably wouldn't eat it. Besides any type of internal parasite that a rabbit would have, if you cook it to recommend a cooking temperature of 160 degrees, it's irrelevant. Anyway, because we worry about parasites in any type of meat that we eat. That's why we cook to safe temperatures with certain different types of meat. So there's, there's no concern there. Um at all. The end is The other one's, if you eat too many of them, you'll get protein poisoning and die. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you won't. Myth. Okay. Um, But people got rabbit fever, Jack, and they died. And they were living on rabbits, and it's all they had to eat, and they died. Okay. Um, Yes, absolutely. Protein poisoning is not a thing. Fat deficiency is a thing. So if you are you're starving, and you're feeding on rabbits that are starving, and they literally have no body fat, and the human body is not getting fat, you will get very sick, and eventually, yes, you will die. So you can eat all the protein you want. It's not going to kill you. If you cut fat to nothing you can get very, very sick. So those are two myths dispelled. My concerns here would be local laws. So in some states, uh, rabbits are pretty much open season year-round. In other states, they're tightly controlled as a game animal. In some states... That does not apply if they're eating your garden and things like that and they're trapped on your own private property. They can be eliminated as pests. In other states, they're still considered a game animal. So you have to look at your local laws, and if you're doing it and there's any gray area you decide to violate, just do it so it's not real obvious what you're doing. right? Don't show it to your neighbor who might call the game warden who will then write you a citation that he never really wanted to, but he had to because somebody complained. But there's no reason you can't eat trapped rabbits, and there's no reason you can't eat rabbits in the summertime. None. At all. Unless there's something wrong with the rabbit. Getting cold outside will not change worms in a rabbit because it's not physically possible. Now, go ahead and send all your email telling me I'm wrong. I have a special folder for it. It's called Deleted Items. Uh, I've done this research. I've covered this before. And I knew that if I didn't include that and just said, yes, you can trap rabbits and eat them, that I would get tons of it. Now, at least when I get it, you'll know why I'm ignoring the answer, because I know the reality here. Um, rabbits don't get worms that are going to kill you if you eat them in the summertime. Now, where do I think the myth comes from? Okay, Rabbits uh, sometimes do get warbles. And if somebody kills rabbits in the summer and sees warbles in them, like a big maggot worm in them, uh, and they don't generally see them any other time, then all of a sudden, well, they get worms in the winter. You know? This is like, um, people tell me, well, uh, roly-polies ate all my plants. How, how, do, how do you know that roly-polies ate your plants? They're decomposers. They only eat dead and decaying matter. They don't eat live plants. Well, all my plants are chewed up, and I pull back the mulch, and there's roly-polies there. So that... That causation equals correlation. You did you see them eating it? Well they crawled on it. Huh? You know, that's it's the same type of thing. So rabbits observe with worms in the summer, therefore summertime rabbits have worms, and since I hadn't observed it in the winter, they don't. It just doesn't work that way. again I think fleas and ticks are an issue that are far more prevalent in the in the in the warmer months. So something to be on to look for out for with ticks, especially because they, the tick themselves can spread diseases. Um, I would also tell you that there is an issue to be concerned with. There is a condition that's transmitted by ticks, and uh, there are ticks that frequently do go after rabbits. It's called tularemia. It's a bacteria, and it causes like a lesion, and it's not really a good thing um and actually you're probably more likely to get it from a rabbit in the winter anyway but it it is a good idea that when you're processing wild rabbit that you wear gloves because if you have a nick or a cut on your hand and that rabbit is uh infected with tularemia it can get into that cut and cause uh, problems um however there's there's no concern whatsoever uh once you cook the rabbit that you could contract it through ingestion but freezing won't kill it so um you you want to make sure that uh, when you process wild rabbit that it is bled out which is good processing you know for meat anyway and again while using a knife while cutting while skinning rabbits it's best practice to use gloves now here's the butt in that from jack um i've never done that in my life i process a rabbit with my hands Once it's dead, I take my hands and I just basically tear it, tear the skin at the back and just pull the skin off of it. Then I take a knife and open up the belly cavity, pull out the entrails and and cut the feet off and the head off and go on with life. If I was scratched up really bad on my hands, I probably would throw a pair of natural gloves or something on though. But uh, I've just never had to do that and be kind of all cut up and scratched up at the same time. So there you go. That would be the only actual concern I can come up with. And I think it's like a one in a hundred thousand that you're ever going to find that being a problem. Uh, go ahead, send me the angry hate mail about your daddy told you or whatever, and I'll delete it. Anyway, let's go and take another one.
2: Hey, Jack, this is Tyler in Ohio. Uh, last night we were in the tornado alley that came through uh, during that storm, and my wife was pretty scared. She asked, well, what do we do? And just from listening to you, I already had kind of a game plan in my head, so got her calmed down. And then she said, well, what happens if the power goes out? Uh, we had a portable car charger that was already charged up. Uh, and once everything kind of calmed down, uh, we were actually just sitting there. She's like, we should get more stuff together for uh, power outages and that kind of stuff. And uh, then I mentioned, well, should we get a disaster binder, too? And she said, well, that's a good idea. So uh, just simple things. I think I got her on board prepping. Uh, On another note, my wife and I like to play a little game when we drive where uh, we just say a word that uh, we think of, and then the other one has to find a correlation with another term and then explain that. And it really helps us kind of think about what uh, corresponds to one another, walks of life. So thanks for all you do, and uh, God bless.
0: So starting out with the second part, the uh, word association, uh, you're talking about connections. And this is part of why people wonder why I love permaculture so much. Well, when you learn permaculture, real permaculture, not just here's how you grow a garden with permaculture, but the permaculture design science, then that begins to be an instantaneous thing that you do with all things. And this is just another way to, to create that sort of uh, association. And when you do that, your mind begins to do it unconsciously. So your mind is like any part of your body. If you exercise it, it becomes stronger, it becomes more engaged. And I believe that is also one of the ways that we can help, as we get older, stave off things like memory loss and, 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 and dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that. I don't think it would cure or prevent Alzheimer's, but even the person unfortunately is going to end up there may end up able to deal with it better for longer when the mind is engaged. I mean, I think that anything that engages the mind like that and causes the mind to work to develop solutions uh, is powerful because it's also like we talk about training and training to draw your weapon, draw your weapon, return your weapon, draw your weapon, return your weapon, training that motion, training that mindset, training, making eyes on target and the gun coming to the eyes so that when something goes wrong, you can do that, right? So shit goes wrong all the time. So if you're already you're already using your mind to look for opportunities to look for connections, when something goes wrong, instead of thinking oh damn, immediately the mind's going well. What do I do about this? And that's the difference between you know people that just survive and people that thrive, even in in in, in tough conditions, right? Living that better life no matter what. So cool. Now the other thing is a couple things. Number one, I think that you you wonder why people don't prepare. And you can actually see it when you see somebody become afraid and then think they need to prepare. Okay, Here's why. When there's nothing that looks like a imminently dangerous, the minute we have to think about preparedness if something goes wrong, we have to open our mind to that connection, that association, that something could go wrong, and that invites the fear that she had when there was no way to make the fear go away. What do we do? There's tornadoes in the area, and what if the power goes out? And you can't just say, well, I'm just not going to think about that because, well, do you have thunder and lightning and the wind blowing and the guy on TV saying, please take cover and stuff like that? And then when you're able to step in and say, we've got these things covered – This is our safe area of the house. This is where we have, we have this backup power. It's not going to run our, you know, our, our, our our flux capacitor or anything, but it is going to at least give us the things that we need to stay in touch with people until stuff gets fixed and it's going to be okay. Then the fear dissipates. And now it's empowering. And now the compulsion is since this helped me feel better when I was afraid, let's do more of that. And that's great. And when, when you have a reluctant spouse and something like this happens and they say, I think we should A, B, C, X, Y, Z. Okay. I don't care if you think you should be, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, one, two, three, and four, five, sixing. You should immediately do the things they suggest that as long as they're not stupid, extremely expensive, or dangerous. Encourage the behavior. So that, so that they say, wow. And then when you say, well, I think we should do this, well, I don't know it. Remember when we did those other things? Oh, yeah. Remember how it feels about, okay, well, let's go get these things done, right? That's, that's part of, you know, courting the reluctant spouse into the world of preparedness. Use those opportunities. I think, you know, one of the other games that, that Dorothy and I have always played, and we've gotten to where it's a boring game now because it's not really anything to think about anymore, uh, to some degree, is that when the power used to go out, We would just sit in the dark with like some candles on and the radio playing and say, well, what if the power was going to be out for a month instead of a couple days? What, what do we not have that we wish we would have? We'd make lists and we'd talk about it. We'd do things like, what's that crazy ass radio show? It's like, it was like the only time we ever listened to it was late at night when the power was out when we were like, you know, on a remote, our remote cabin and stuff. Oh, uh, Coast to Coast I Am. So we'd listen to that crazy batshit stuff and we would, uh, and we would work on our press. And that was, fun and it made, you know, oh the power's out into fun. Right? But you can only make emergencies into fun when you have the things that turn emergencies into inconveniences and the things that make inconveniences irrelevant. And that's preparedness. That's what we do here. Anyway, good call. Love hearing that stuff. Let's take another one.
2: Hello Jack. This is Sakota from Ardenbore, Washington. And last week you had mentioned uh possibly covering your mayonnaise recipe. I'd definitely like to hear that. Take care.
3: Bye-bye.
0: so I'll tell you straight up front that I learned about this from Alton Brown and I'm going to just put a link in the show notes today where you can see him do it because uh, it's, it's it is a little bit involved from a technique standpoint and you can do it wrong and make instead of mayonnaise you can make a mess um, but I'll give you the basics of the uh, recipe and the technique but I do want to suggest that you do indeed make single batch at first because this stuff keeps for like a couple weeks in the refrigerator. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to make a gallon of it when you make homemade mayo. You need one egg yolk, uh, a half teaspoon of fine salt. You do want fine salt for this, not the kosher that I'm so in love with for everything else. A half a teaspoon of dry mustard. So that's dry mustard powder. Uh, a couple pinches of sugar. Uh, two teaspoons of fresh-squeezed lemon juice, one tablespoon of white wine vinegar, and a cup of oil. And he suggests, like, safflower or corn. Um, since both of those are very expensive, if you can even find them in organic, I'm not a fan of either of those. He's looking for a very neutral oil, something that doesn't have any flavor contributions whatsoever, so that what you taste is the mayo. You could use something like organic sunflower, uh, or 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 what have you oil olive oil would be okay except this have contributes a flavor uh, so you want the most neutral oil that you're comfortable with to do this with so in a in a glass bowl now you're going to whisk the egg yolk and the dry ingredients all the dry ingredients then you're going to add the lemon juice and vinegar in a separate bowl and thoroughly whisk in half the yolk mixture into that bowl with the lemon juice and the vinegar and you're going to start whisking really briskly. And you're going to start adding oil a few drops at a time. Like put your cup of oil in a squeeze bottle is a great way to do this so that you control. And you're going to start adding oil, and you're going to add a few drops at a time until it starts to, to lighten up a bit. And that means you've got an emulsion going. Okay? And once you've reached that point, you can relax a little bit and go a little slower, but you still need to keep that movement. You want to use one of those wire whisks when you're doing this and start adding more oil and more oil, And really, like a, like a constant stream at that point, but really just a a stream, not a dump. So you keep going, keep going. Once half the oil is in, add the rest of the lemon juice mixture and start whisking again and then continue adding your oil until all the oil is incorporated. That's how you do it. Watching a video of him doing will make more sense than what I just said. Now here's the, the kick. You've used a raw egg yolk. (gasps) Salmonella! Okay, first of all, your risk is incredibly low. If it's an irradiated egg from the supermarket, it's almost irrelevant. But if you're using your own fresh eggs, and God, you wouldn't, you will never have mayo that's real mayo until you have it with a duck egg yolk. I'm just saying. Just saying. But what you're going to do is you're going to take your mayo that you've made, you're all proud of it, and you'll put a cover on it, and you're going to set it on top of the countertop, and you're going to leave it there for one to two hours. (gasps) You never leave mayo at room temperature. Calm down, relax, relax, relax. If you were to take a pH strip with all that lemon juice and vinegar now and test that mayonnaise, it's going to have a pH of like three to three and a half. Very acidic. And salmonella and acid go, ah, and kills it, right? It takes a long time now for it to to come back and be a problem or for other things to infect your stuff. But if you immediately chill it, the acid can't work as well. So by leaving it room temperature for about an hour to two hours, the acid has time to kill any potential salmonella that would be in your mayonnaise, and then by refrigerating it, you prevent any resurgence of it. Did you learn something? I told you science is cool when it comes to cooking, and I learned that from Alton Brown, and that's why I recommend watching Good Eats. Yes, he's a goof. Yes, he does stupid, nonsensical skits in it and all, but you learn cool shit, like how to make your own mayonnaise without killing yourself. You know? And then you, see, it's like you were never gonna do it anyway, but now, now, you feel comfortable doing it, cause you saw a guy that has authority, like Alden Brown, do it, and he didn't die, so he probably won't either. But it, it is not the same as regular mayonnaise. If you're gonna use olive oil, which is great, cause it's a wonderful fat, right? Then try to find the most neutral tasting olive oil you can, and I have some, I have some tricks for you here to do some cool things. If you wanted to make a jalapeno mayonnaise, you could get a jalapeno olive oil. Now, if you use all jalapeno olive oil, it's going to be very, very assertive. If you wanted a more gentle, just kind of something that would go really nicely with, oh, I don't know, avocado and bacon and, you know, big old lettuce leaf, like a, a BLT without a bun, right? Um, then what you might do is just take a quarter of your oil and replace it with jalapeno infused oil. You can do the same thing like you do a, a lemon mayo with a lemon-infused oil. There's some lemon juice in there, but that would give it more oomph. And you could use any kind of infused oil that you think would go nice with your flavor, but you know, start out using a half or a quarter because it can be overwhelming if you use too much. But the other side of it, by using a flavor-infused oil, you end up with a jalapeno or a lemon mayo. Not an olive mayo because the, the, the infusion is has greater flavor up front than the olive oil, which can be a bit overpowering. If you're going to do this, you'd want to use like an extra virgin light olive oil. You want to, I would suggest tasting your olive oil. And if it's a very neutral oil, it'll work. If you have an assertive olive oil, you're like, that's like a fruity, balmy, awesome olive oil that really has a lot of, uh, uh upfront flavor. The, it may not be what you're looking for. And mayo. So I said extra virgin. A lot of times extra virgin has all that flavor. A lot of times they just call it light olive oil. Light olive oil tends to have a lot less flavor. Uh, it's from, you know, it just does. And because of that, it makes, it makes for better things like this. Also is when you're making your own infused olive oils, which I'm not going to get into today, uh, it, it's often better because it costs less. And since you're going to overpower the flavor of the oil with the flavor of the infusion, it doesn't make sense to use this really fruity, great tasting olive oil. Just some thoughts there. So, uh, enough of the cooking today. Let's go on to something else.
4: Hey, Jack, this is uh, Benton out in Lakewood, Colorado again. uh, I've been enjoying all the uh, talk on automation lately and all the comments that people have had, and I just thought I would give my quick uh, little thing that I experienced the other day. I uh, went on a tour. We went and toured a recycling facility, and uh, they showed us this crazy machine, like $60 million setup they have, that – For sorting plastic, the clear plastics are separated from the other hard plastics. And so it goes down this conveyor belt, and they reflect light on it, and a computer in about a split second realizes if it's a clear plastic, and air jets shoot that plastic up into the air, up into another belt that separates all the clear plastic. So that was pretty cool. But the other thing, they told us about this machine they're working on, that right now, goes through, and it picks out milk cartons, and it identifies milk cartons as they're coming down the line, and it picks them out, and so I asked during the tour, you know, with things going this way, how long do you see it being before your, your whole place here is completely automated, because they have about 50 people on staff that sit there on the line sorting junk by hand, and uh, they said, uh, you know, probably probably eight to ten years. And, uh, what they, what this machine is doing right now, it's picking out milk cartons, but at the same time, <clears throat> it's tagging and identifying every other piece of trash that goes through this belt, and they go through at the end of the day, and they tell it, you know, what this is, because it has something identified, so they input it, you know, it's a wrapper, it's a gum wrapper, it's a bottle cap, it's this, it's that. And they identify everything that's coming through, and so they're logging all that right now, and it's cataloging it. So, just wanted to throw that in there, man. I thought it was an interesting thing, and you know, just all the stuff you get, all the stuff you've been talking about lately. You know that people are just kind of turning a blind eye to this and don't see it coming. It's coming, man. And not only is it coming it's here. so uh, yeah, man. Just thought I'd throw that in there. Have a good one. Later.
0: So yeah, I mean, what we're talking about there is self-learning the machine. So the machine has been given a task to remove one item, and then. It's doing that through pattern recognition, probably pixelation or something like that. But then it's it's determining what other things look like. So the machines are becoming smarter and smarter and smarter through additional programming and reinforcement. So eventually, those machines will be able to sort every single individual thing that comes through the recycling. And how long is it before you just simply have one guy going through the bin marked other? Whatever the machine couldn't figure out goes in other, right? It's, it's, it's coming, and it's coming. Faster. And when people hear 8 to 10 years, they think, oh, that's a long time. 8 to 10 years is not a long time. Eight years ago, I started a survival podcast. Who's been here since the beginning? Think about that. It seems like a long time, but not really. Let's think about some other things. Remember Y2K? Yeah? 16 years ago, friends. 10 years. Bam. And the older you are, the more you start to realize how fast a decade goes. How fast a decade goes. It's, it's, it's going, and that's that one place, right? That they're looking at now. And they probably have pretty low labor costs. That's, just, that's another thing. When you're replacing low cost labor, that tells you something. That tells you that the technology is getting less and less expensive. So here's my corollary story, my synchronicity. Lots of synchronicity in today's story. Show. Um, so I went to the place that I get my wood chips and compost and stuff like that. Um, yesterday and got a truckload for my farmhand to unload. Uh, that's become his main job here, other than picking up, cleaning eggs, and doing some other routine chores. Is patchworking all my damaged soil by laying down this beautiful hardwood mulch we get. And I'm driving in, I look and I see there's some new machinery. It doesn't look brand new, but it's clearly not the machinery. And these guys, this is not your 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 little tiny composting operation. This is a major. Recycling materials uh, operation. These guys make compost by the dump truck full uh, on, on an ongoing basis. You know, um, half the contractors in the area are either taking them in materials or getting materials from. So this is big equipment, and they have some really two really nice looking excavators running, making these pile of compost that are like bigger than a house. And so when I go and I talk to this guy that, that works there who, uh, you know, and I, like, what's going on? And apparently they got new equipment that's used equipment, but they got a good deal on it because the place that they got it from is starting to get rid of equipment because they're getting automated equipment. They're, like, getting self-operating excavators for, like, mining operations. So they're dumping the, the old equipment, which is, you know, five-year-old, quarter-million-dollar-and-up equipment because of this. So it's it it's starting to show up in places where like i said it's showing up where it not where it really isn't right so what I mean by showing up where it really isn't you're not seeing the automation there, but they're buying equipment like second tier so this is what's it's the same thing that's going on for a totally different reason uh in the marijuana world right so marijuana is so profitable for legal growers for now. The more it gets legalized, the less profitable it will be. But for right now, legalized marijuana is an extremely profitable thing to grow. So these guys are using the most cutting-edge equipment, including lighting. So in two to three years, they're selling their equipment for for a fraction of what it's worth to buy brand-new equipment to keep up with their competitors, and people are buying it to grow tomatoes and lettuce. And so you see that as one industry advances – its second-tier products end up in another industry. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy that stuff like that's going on. Let's take another
3: one. Hey, Jack. Uh, this is Austin from Northern California. Uh, I have a question um, about a college program's A um, background. Uh, I'm in community college right now, and during the summer uh, I was offered a program that's funded by the government that, well, Pay for my tuition, tools, and other things, so that I can become a tractor mechanic uh, for the whole um, factory near me. And uh, my only misgivings about this issue is that first, it's a government-funded program, and I'm not quite sure if I want to get into that or not. Even though I want to pay anything back for it. Another issue is that I'm not quite sure if going into a tractor mechanic is Feasible, even though the job offer will pay after the program, after two years of programming, it will be maybe fifty-five dollars an hour. And um, I just want to hear your opinion on this, at right, least, Jack. Bye.
0: Okay, so I, there's there's three different moving parts here. Let's start out with the first one. Is there really a fifty-five dollar an hour job at the end of this? I I would want to be. Very clear about is there a contract? Is there an obligation? Is that a projection? Whatever. If you're going to dedicate two years of your life to this, even if it's not your, 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 your treasure, it's your blood, so to speak. So that sounds a little too good to be true. So I dig into what that really means. And it bothered me the way you kind of hesitated. Said, well, maybe $55 an hour. So, cause I know a lot of mechanics making a hell of a lot less than $50 an hour. Um, that's good money. Okay. Now the next question is, what about that as a trade, as a profession? Well, I think it's one of the more future, I wouldn't call it future-proof, but future-resilient things. If you can work on and fix things, that'll be one of the last things to be automated is repair. Because repair works best with kind of a dispatching concept. You go out and you fix the machine, uh, you fix a car, or the car is brought to you, and um, I think we will have machines that take mechanics jobs away, but I think it's further out. And if you can fix machines, whether they're cars or trucks or whatever, you can fix other machines and you can adapt and learn. And, and that's valuable. The other thing I would say is a person myself who was a mechanic in the military, it is a mindset that allows you to troubleshoot. In all walks of life, so it's a valuable education. Even if you end up going in a different direction with it, I think in some ways it's far, far more valuable than a lot of things people are coming out of college with. So it's 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 a matter of do you want to do it, not is it a good idea. It's it's certainly a valid profession. It's if it's got a get if it's got a you know government program where people that go to this course and do this they qualify get this job when they come out. Fine, I mean you know that's. Of course, you're probably working for government, too, which you already have misgivings about taking money from government. So when you work for government, you take money from government, right? All right. So this is where I'm supposed to say, as an anarchist, I'm offended that any human being, no, 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 because I'm a pragmatist in addition to being an anarchist and uh, a libertarian. People say, well, you're not a libertarian or you're an anarchist. Here's how I feel about that. Um, all anarchists are libertarians, but not all libertarians are anarchists. I think most libertarians get there sooner or later, uh, but I believe since libertarianism actually is anarchism because it's based on the non-aggression principle, and so then most libertarians, it's just a matter of well, how much of the non-aggression principle are you willing to violate? You know, well, we need a little bit of government, so you're willing to violate your founding principle a little bit. And I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that's 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 what I had to face when I decided that that that, that term no longer worked for me. Saying I was a libertarianism, but not an anarchist. So I didn't stop being a libertarian. I, I, I became the logical progression of full libertarianism, which is anarchism. And I also say, no, oh, no. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, people that are purists like that, unless you live, I saw a guy today that created his own country, right, in the middle of Utah. He bought like, you know, some land for 600 bucks or something and he calls it Zakistan or something like that. It's not his real name, but it's something like that. And uh, he's out there, you know, I don't think he really stays there all the time, but he's got his own. If you do that and you stay out there, then you have a leg to stand on. If you exist in society and you use the roads, that you don't approve of the taxes having built, you're still using them, right? So if, if you don't take this program, somebody else will. What are you going to do, take one just like it and pay for it out of pocket to spite, you know, cut your nose off to spite your face? If you can get a scholarship or something like that, and it has to be government-backed, well, that's fine. If anybody's like saying that's like a bad thing, okay, if you're going to community college, the government's funding part of your education. Community college costs as little as it does because it's subsidized by government. So every when you pay 100% of your tuition and your books and all, and you don't touch a government program, and you go to community college, you're still going to a government-funded school. You know when they say they want free community college for everybody? All that means is they want the government to pay more for it, all right? Um, if you send your kids to government school, well, you're using a government program. I don't want to. I'd like to homeschool like you suggest. I understand that. So so it's not that I want there to be all these government programs. But they exist. So we have to decide in our lives where do we create and work with the interactive edge with the state, if I can get an education that I wanted anyway and I can use government's money to pay for it, that's fine. Because if you get a $55 an hour job, dude, don't worry. They'll take all the money back from you that you took from them and more and in spades. The, the day I stop taking money from the government is the day that I end up net positive. That's how I feel about it. When When I am a dollar positive in my life over what they've taken from me, then we can have that discussion. 'Cause right now I have a whole shitload of my own money to get back. And when you're a young person, if you can get a head start, go ahead and do it. Now don't this is this is where it gets where well, you gotta be careful with government programs. If you build a business on a government program and that government program changes or goes away, your business isn't resilient. That's something you have to use caution with. But if you get this training as a mechanic and they change the program and you don't get a fifty five dollar job, you still have the education and you still don't owe the money. It's not like you are going to change and say, like "Now you you're going to retroactively have to pay for it." So, I don't know, there's probably some of my audience on the, you know, the, the purest, the elitist assholes uh, of the anarchist world, which by the way, back to my one of my favorite sayings, you think you're helping but you're not. That that's what you are. When you are one of those purists, you think you're helping but you're not. You're not bringing more people to the philosophies of libertarianism, minarchism and anarchism. You're pushing them further into statism. That's 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 exactly what you're doing, um, but I would not abstain from this because of some moral thing. Because if you go down that road, well, what are you, where are you going to draw the line? You know, where are you going to draw the line? What if you pay for all your own, you know, stuff, and you get a job offer as a mechanic, but it's working for a city, that's a government? You know, you going to not take the job. You, you, what do you do? You work on the city's vehicles that they use to. Haul people around in because of the morality. And, and, you know, if you could find a better job, fine. You know, if you don't want to do it, fine. But if you would do that, but you wouldn't do this, that's that's what I'm saying. You have to kind of think about this. Like, there's there's a, the real world that we live in, and we have to deal with the market that is,
3: not the market that we wish was. All
0: right, let's take another one.
3: Hey, Jack, this is Nate from Arizona. I'm calling in. I have uh, actually two related questions. One, what is wrong with people? And two, where can I find news? Details. Um, I stopped watching TV a long time ago, um, and actually 20 years ago, and I recently got married. And when I got married, I decided to uh, be more responsible and start watching the news to maybe learn what's going on in the world. Uh, I still don't have a television, but I downloaded a local news app and a world news app. And on these apps, it pretty much just details everybody being killed. Uh, it, even the local news app, app will reach out to different states and just to let me know um, who got raped there. Um, I'm just wondering, is this what people want to see? I can't really picture my grandma in her living room watching all this uh, violence and stuff. So I'm just wondering, uh, what's, what's the deal? And uh, where can I find some, some good, happy news? Right on. Thanks, Jack. Cheers.
0: Um you know, you you actually said is this what people want, so there are three questions. I'm gonna start with that. And the answer is yes, and that answers your question is what's wrong with people. And it's not that simple. It's not that your grandmother or anybody else that's around and goes, I want to hear specifically about all the horrible things that happened today. This also ties into the first caller too, so I, I hope that, that she's still listening. Um because it's it's it it has so many corollaries to The way people interact with each other and the way people put each other down. So to really understand this, all one really needs to look at is reality TV. People like the Kardashians and things like that and and, and the trash reality TV of these idiots, these intellectual midgets that are nowhere near as stupid as the TV shows they make about themselves make them out to be. Um, Because... You know, they wouldn't be filthy, stinking rich if they were that stupid. But they they portray stupidity because it sells. And yes, people want to turn the news on and see all this bad shit that happened everywhere else because it makes them feel better about themselves. And it's, it's all about, well, at least I'm not that stupid. At least I am not that bad off. And it also justifies all of the things that they really know are inherently wrong. When you constantly have the TV showing you these horrible things happening in these other countries, you become convinced that it's okay for your country to bomb them. Okay? When you see a person who can't manage their life at all and your your, your life is in a shambles, well, you still feel better about yourself because at least I'm not that bad. And, and that's a big part of it. And our first caller, that's that's part of it too. Um so, what happens is, even when someone's doing well, people have a tendency to, to minimize their good and accentuate their bad because when they see others doing well where they were not able to, they feel bad about themselves. And since they're uncomfortable, like I said, synchronicity all over the place, the call about, uh, you know, getting your preps going because there was an actual potential disaster. Um, when you feel uncomfortable, you resist it. And there's two ways to resist being uncomfortable. One is with positivity and what the other is negativity. And, you know, almost infinitesimally, it's easier to resist with negativity than positivity. Positivity requires you to do something about it. So if your life is shit, then you have to fix it. That's a lot of hard work. That's why it's shit in the first place. But if your life is shit, you can feel better about it being shit because someone is, is worse. Then it's easier to make yourself feel better by looking at what's going on around you. Now the other reason that this this way is we're, we're being controlled, we're being manipulated, we're being controlled with fear. You can't control people if you show them all the sunshine and happiness and puppy dogs. And they'll do one or two little like feel good human interest stories, salt and pepper through all of this nightmarish stuff. And they only do it for contrast to actually make the bad stuff look worse. But, yes, people want to hear it. Could you imagine if if for a month the news reported nothing negative? I mean, my God, that Colin Kaepernick shit was on TV again today. This has been going on for over a week. And people, my son died in war, and he is disrespecting him. Your son died for freedom, sir. At least that's what he believed he did. And that's freedom for people to do good shit. Stupid shit as well as also not hurting anybody else. And the last time I checked, sitting on your ass wasn't hurting anybody. And if it is, there's a whole lot of people in this country that are doing a hell of a lot of harm because there's a lot of ass sitting going on around. Yes, people want to hear the negative. Imagine the news just just turned away from it. They stopped telling us about, you know, how shitty Trump is and piss, how he pissed people off and how shitty Hillary is and which athlete did something that disrespected the flag or disrespected somebody and uh, you know, they stopped telling us about the people that beat their kids and they, they only told us for a month about the vast majority of things that are going on that are actually very good things. The ratings on the news would go to nothing. Nobody really wants to hear it. And if, they, if that wasn't the case, then alternative media would be telling us the good stuff, too. Why isn't there, like, happynews.com? And I don't know. Maybe there is. You know, maybe there is. But almost every alternative media source focuses on the negative. I'd say even here we do that to a degree, but it's because we have to. And we try to we try to look at it from the positive. So what do we do about it? And... So, again, it is a desire. That's why people watch reality TV. That's why people, you know, are too hard on their son-in-law or daughter-in-law. Because they feel better about themselves. Because that, And that's why they get really bad when that person's actually doing better than them. It's all the same dynamic. It's all the same corollary. It really is. But the media apparatus, on top of all that, exists to control you. And you can't control people with good. You control people with evil. Controls evil. So, where do you get your good news? I don't know. Start talking to positive people about the good things they're doing in their lives. Read, read websites about. So, you don't look for news, look for stories. Read websites about the things that you think are good that are interesting to you. You know, read permaculture news. Learn about the good people doing good work in good places for good reasons. Because that's what good news is. Because the other side of it is, okay, a long time ago, when this show was first getting really big, I started hearing from the Hollywood people, uh, like uh, Doomsday Prepper people and shit like that. I had no interest. And they were you know, giving me all these scenarios of these different shows they were thinking of and what do you think and all. And I was like, see, well, your problem is, guys, is if you actually showed what real preparedness looked like, it, it would make for pretty boring television. It would be everything's messed up and prepper family is doing what we do when things go wrong, going on with our lives, without much inconvenience because we've been prepared for those systems to fail. So instead they want to focus on like the doomsday idiots, you know, the, 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 the complete wackadoodles guys that literally should be on... You know, there's so many people in this country that are on uh, psychotropic medication that shouldn't be and they find the people that should be and aren't and they put them on TV and they do it everywhere. All back to the same reason. You feel better about yourself by watching a moron. So yeah, it is what people want and it's what's wrong with people. It's a fundamental human flaw that we feel better because we're not as bad as. Well, what we should be doing is feeling good because we're as good as we are and feeling bad because we're not as good as we can be so that we're working toward being better. This nation needs to become a nation of men and women who are good people trying to become better people. Instead, we've turned into a nation of mediocre people that try to feel like good people by finding those that are below mediocre. It's up to us to choose which which piece to look at, because the media is going to show you the worst. So where do you find good news? How about creating some? With that, let's take another one.
4: Hey, Jack. Uh, my name is Howard from Michigan, and I'm listening to
3: a uh, listener call uh, on episode 1857 regarding the political robocalls. Um, your, your answer was correct, except for one thing. Political uh, robocalls are absolutely exempt from the do not call list. So as in all things with our wonderful government, they have voted themselves an exemption for fundraising and political campaigning. So I wasn't sure if you knew that, but uh, now you do. So unfortunately, yeah, there's no way to get your number on a do not call list when it comes to political campaign or political robocalls. Thanks, keep up the good work, love the show.
0: Well, it'll be a short one here because there's not much to add to that. It's just another example, you know, pass Obamacare, government exempts itself from it. And then you pass a, a law that seems like a very popular law. People should not be harassed, and there should be a do not call list, and it should be a very strict penalty for anybody calling a number on that list. You should not call that number. But, hey, for political fundraising, it's okay. There is no, there is nothing redemptive in the United States government, at this point, there's no good. It doesn't mean that some good things don't happen because of it, but when it comes down to it, as a, as a system, it is the most corrupt. It is the most corrupt government that's ever been created. It, it's it's done some good things and some bad things, and it's not the government's done the the most bad. Though we've done a better job at killing people than just about anybody else. But It hasn't done the most bad, but it's the most corrupt. It's so corrupt that they don't even hide the corruption anymore. It's despicable. And it's just another example. And people don't even... See, I'm getting to where I... This is why I teach proactive apathy. I don't care. I don't even care. You know? I I really don't. Like I said, I just don't answer my phone unless I recognize the number. I just don't. Because the the time I'll spend being angry about this, I could be out you know, building my aquaponic system or doing a show like this to help people or what have you. So the problem isn't that people don't care. It's that people do care and don't care. So what I mean by that is the people that are so vested in the system that get the Kaepernick thing, right? They're like, I can't believe this guy didn't stand for the – National anthem. After all, this country's done for him, Ugh. right? And 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 the, the federal government's trying to drive a a pipeline through the middle of an Indian reservation that they have no right to do. And crickets, not a damn bit of concern. That's that's the kind of apathy that's bad. Right? You care about all this bullshit that doesn't matter. And you don't care about real things that really do matter inside the system. Or, you know, you you can, you can focus on the things that do matter, but they throw so much shit at you, you can't pay attention anymore. It's media control from the last question. Or you can focus on the things you actually control. That's the only way I know to, to have sanity once you have the pattern recognition of, of the absolute corruptness of our current system. You have to exist mostly outside of it and only interact with it where necessary or advantageous. Or you'll go crazy. Or you'll be a very miserable person. This will be, you'll be miserable or crazy. So this is part of where I think that we need to start thinking on this philosophy as well. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy and successful? And I think people are afraid of that because when you say, well, I want to be happy and successful and you say, but I'm not worried about being right. I'm not about being morally right in the things that you control. But I'm, I, you know, because like, here's the deal. If you're a moral person and you say, well, I'm just going to be happy and try to become successful and you're doing it by hurting people. You're not going to be happy or successful because you're going to be miserable and that will lead to failure. So you have to give yourself permission thinking, you know, understanding that you're a good enough human being that you can let go of the stuff you don't control focus on what you do control. And instead of worried about being, when I say right, I don't mean about being right in your living. I mean being right about, well, I need to be upset about this because it's the right thing to be upset about this. But if you're upset about something you have no influence over, you, 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 the value of that is nothing. Hope that makes sense. Let's take another one.
3: Jack, could you compare and contrast, uh, airsoft guns to pellet guns for training and, uh, I guess, other functions also. Um, background is I just really enjoyed your airsoft uh, show, but I'm thinking that, you know, I use pellet guns for a lot of the things that you, the training aspects that you said and also, you know, taking care of squirrels and things like that. So, I don't know, could you compare and contrast the two in terms of noise and effectiveness for... Uh, I guess the difference might be that the airsoft guns are more like your real gun in terms of function. Am I missing something else? And um, I guess, you know, is there anything to think about with either paintball guns or uh, other alternatives instead? Thanks a lot. Bye.
0: Okay, so let's just throw the paintball thing out right from the beginning and not come back to it. Um, I think paintball is a fine game. Um, if you want to play it, it's a lot like airsoft, but it's not. Uh, I think that airsoft can be a lot more close to realistic in some ways than than paintball can because of technology. Um, but I don't think it's very useful at all as a training tool. I really don't. Um, from a, for a training tool of you know shooting targets in your backyard, learning to draw and what have you. Okay, now can you use a a good quality gas blowback uh, pellet gun? Uh, for tactical training in a, you know, a backyard shooting environment and get a good training effect from it. You can. You absolutely can. There's no doubt about it. And they do make some damn good ones. Um, and they, you know, some of them, it's, it's just like airsoft. Some of them are really close to the mark and some are not as close to the mark. Um, one of the things I actually dislike is that pellet guns do not have an orange tip. I think a training gun should have an orange tip. So I said not to remove it. I know if you're, if you're a gamer, I covered this one in my airsoft, if you're a gamer and you're out on the field, you don't want that orange tip giving your position away. That's different. But when it comes to using for tactical training, especially when you have you know a, a SIG uh, 226 that's a real SIG 226 and a non-226 that are in the same place at the same time, yeah, I kind of like having that extra safety feature. Safety is another consideration. Well, what happens if I'm uh, 25 feet away and you shoot me in the chest with a uh, pellet from a uh, Airsoft SIG 226? Well, you piss me off because we didn't agree to that, and it hurts, and I'm angry. That's about it. Um, you would seriously injure me with a pellet gun. So the Airsoft gun is safer in a backyard environment, etc. It's a safer tool. It is less expensive to run because... I'm not aware of a pellet gun that runs on green gas uh, or propane with a propane adapter. So that's one of the things I don't like in even airsoft is going to propane. I'm sorry, uh, CO2, because you have to buy little cartridges. And they're not that expensive, but over the life of the gun, it's significantly more expensive. Um, Quality lead pellets cost more than airsoft pellets. So the airsoft pellets cost less. I think it's a lot easier to develop reactive targets with airsoft. So if I'm shooting uh, pellets, I guess, like, you know, I have these heavy steel plates, and I shoot pellet guns as well, and I can shoot those with a pellet gun, and, yeah, that that's going to be a solid steel and bang. But, you know, here's an, it, it, for instance, uh, the other day I was at Lowe's, and I was like, I wonder if I can come up with another target system for, you know, airsoft shooting, something that's more reactive than drops. And I found uh, covers for quad boxes and some magnets that, you know, have a hole in them that you can screw to a wall for whatever you might do with that magnet. And I put them on top of a piece of 2x4, going a long ways, and screw the magnets in, and then you stand up the little uh, quad box cover. A quad box, I'm talking about a four-outlet steel box for electrical outlets. They're like 80 cents a piece. And you kind of stand them up, stick them to the magnet, and when you hit them, they fall over. Well, you shoot that with a pellet gun, that thin steel is going to damage it. So you'd have to come up with something totally different, Right. Um, pellet guns are fine for shooting like precision shooting and things like that, but with kind of the mo- you know, you start moving and engaging multiple targets. I-, I just think that, you know, you can do that much easier with pellet guns. I talked about with, you know, target shooting in that show that you could take the, uh, and I, cause I do this, the one gallon jugs, uh, that Apple juice comes in. That's like a good hard plastic. You could paint those. And he- by the way, here's the way to paint them. Same way I do um, jugs for jug fishing because they have to be uh, white in Texas. what you do is you put some a little bit of paint inside them and shake them up so that the in, inside so that the paint never wears off. Put the lid on them and now you have a you know a target that 's akin to the, about the upper chest cavity of a man, and you can set those up anywhere you can move in between locations and shoot with them uh, and you 're not really worried so much about your backstop you know you should not be shooting into your neighbor 's yard or what have you, but um, you know, thin trees or whatever would be more than enough for a backstop. And, you know, airsoft pellets, as they get out past like 25 feet, they just start to really decelerate. And there's a point at which if you get hit with an airsoft pellet, it's just kind of like, and you're like, what was, Oh, and you look down a seat land on the ground, it just kind of falls off you where at that range, you know, lead pellets are still capable of danger or damage. If you do have a shot go astray and it hits a window, unless it's really up close, you're not going to break it with an airsoft pellet. Up close, you can. Don't test the theory too close. But I mean, at a distance, it's just going to bounce off a window where a pellet gun can cause damage. You see, there's like, so there's just a, a much more inherent safety when it comes to airsoft. And it, that allows you to train more realistically. At least it does for me. The other thing is you can buy biodegradable airsoft pellets. So if you're doing a lot of training in your backyard, that's a lot of lead buildup. You know, unless you're shooting into a trap, which is fine, you can do it, but if you're shooting into a trap, well now you're isolating your, how many traps are you gonna have your isolate, you, you can't just have that flexibility to move around. So I, 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 I don't think there's a problem if you set up a little pellet trap and you throw a little piece of paper in front of it and you, you draw your pellet gun and you fire shots every day like we talked about. Um, as part of your training routine. It's not a bad thing, but I just think an airsoft gun is more flexible for all the reasons I covered in that show. So hopefully that answers your question. Anyway, this is uh, an interesting show. Some deep topics and a lot of different variety, but like a lot of commonality coming through it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, if you enjoyed this show and other shows and you want to help support us, join the members support brigade. You can do that by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on members, but don't do it until next week. I'm going to run a sale next week. It's going to be a better price. So leave it there. Unless what? You want to come to the workshop. Um, I've been hearing from people. I think this one's going to sell out in like minutes. I, that's never happened to one before it's always been the case if you wanted to come you could come I think when people saw all that was going on and realized there'd only be one uh, this time around um, I've got people couples that want to buy two and I got people asking me to stack the deck for them and all I, I can't do it I can't I can't favor one to the other so 9 a.m sharp central standard time you know at 85950 I'm gonna be sitting here logged in on my FTP program and I'm going to push that new index page up, and when you log into the MSB, there's going to be a link there. You can click that link. You'll be able to sign up for it. So you have to be MSB to do that. If you're a member, please, and you're thinking about this, please log in today. I'm not going to be able to fix it. If you're like, I thought I was a member. I can't, I can't kick somebody out. I can't make exceptions. I have to be fair. It kind of kills me, honestly, that I'll be telling people, I'm sorry you can't come. It really does because it's it's heartwarming that so many people want to come, you know, spend their time and their money to come spend time with us. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking into the future, what I can do to accommodate more. But this time around, it's going to be 32 seats sold tomorrow morning and probably pretty quick. Uh, the other way to support the show is by shopping Amazon through tspaz.com. Just go to tspaz, T S P A Z dot com and, uh, click the link there to go to Amazon, do your Amazon shopping and, uh, you know, you're going to be able to, uh, pick anything you want and, uh, buy anything you want through Amazon that you're going to buy anyway. Of course, every day I do an item for review. Um, and, uh, today I have a tire plug kit, like an $8 tire plug kit and you can read my write up on that, but, I, you know, I'm not the guy that usually says, like, if you don't have this in your preps, you're wrong. I'll say if you don't prepare at all, you're wrong. But how you do that is up to you. It's one of my survival tenets. What you do matters, and you have to develop your own plan. But when you can get a good tire plug kit for $8, and you can learn how to watch it. You can learn how to watch it by watching a five-minute YouTube, how to use it. Um, and you can be out on a highway with a, a tire that's going flat, pop a nail out, put a plug in it, and get on down the road and get repair uh, later and not be stuck for 8 bucks. if you don't have tire plug kits as part of your vehicle preparedness kits, you are wrong. So you can read the article on that, and you can read uh, kind of some stories about how well these things have worked in the past and and kind of my background in the tire world. Because my dad was a – he owned a business selling used tires for about 20 years. I did a lot of tires, uh, breakdown on tire machines, did a lot of patches, did a lot of plugs – I even know what a and iron is, and those are outdated technology because they don't make tires like they used to. Yeah, I'll give you that real quick. So back in the 70s, you uh, used to hear the term retreads. And when I said retreads, I actually meant recaps. And we won't get into that, but it's a vulcanization process. True retreading was you took this little tool, and it had a little blade on it. It got hot. And you could, like, follow the tread of the tire that was getting thin, and you could cut rubber out of the tire and retread it and use it again. And uh, my dad did that, and a lot of people thought it was kind of like a bad practice, or whatever. But the tires they made back then were so thick, you could do that once to them, and they were fine. Today, if you tried that, you'd have all kinds of problems. Uh, so I even even have retreaded tires and painted tires in my uh, in my past. So you can take my advice on tires, guys. Next up, remember through the TSP business directory, you can find other members of this community and do business with them, and we should support each other. Today's supporting business is Thoughtful Harvest. Uh, They source the finest U.S. grown ingredients and use classical culinary techniques to make exceptional products you will love and trust. Their products help support U.S. farmers. And, of course, the owner of Thoughtful Harvest is our expert council member, Chef Keith Snow. So check out the TSP business directory at tspbiz.com. Moving us to our closing song. So I said synchronicity today, so I want you guys to check the synchronicity of this out. And uh, I, I also want to kind of address at this point, you know, to the, the caller, for the leadoff question about dealing with in-laws who are so negative and saying things like, you know, you're going to fail at this and maybe you should just go back where you came from. And, I mean, just, well, I told you to, uh, to hang in with me and, and definitely listen to this piece too because it all correlates back. And I think there's a certain encouragement when you see synchronicity uh, and that involves you and that other people are there to help you when you need it. That kind of gives you a sense of, uh, of being important. Uh, to the universe as a whole, so yesterday I featured a book called Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and I said there's a second book called Illusions, and that those two books were good books to read when you uh, when you want to kind of deal with you know personal issues or find yourself or kind of reflect on life. They're both fantastic books. By the way, the rest of Richard Box books are fine, but neither, no book ever comes close to those two ever again. It's like there it was the beginning and the high timeline of his career as a writer. Well, first of all, to the caller that called in the beginning, if you will email me and send me your mailing address, I will, at my expense, send you a copy of both books. And I'd like you to read them and then for yourself get a copy of Celestine Prophecy. And read those three books, and I think they'll help you in dealing with this situation and others as well. And I'd like to give you that as my gift. But in the book, Illusions, there is a, a central theme of how the two key characters interact. I'm not going to say what it, what it is, but for those of you that go look at the video today that I have, uh, that goes with the song I have for you, you'll see something in there go, oh, there it is. And if you don't know the story, you will not see it. You will not know what it is. And it's not supposed to mean anything about Richard Bach's book. It's just there. Now, what's interesting is I almost, I almost chose to put illusions up today and thought, I want to move my item of the day around. That's why I did the tire plug kit. And then I was picking a song out. So right after I almost did that, I found this video, or this song, I'm like, let's find a good song from Alabama. And this one's called Give Me One More Shot. No, I'm sorry. This one's called, no, I'm sorry, that's a different song. It's called You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. Right? You Can't Keep a Good Man Down. And, uh, you know, I, I was like, that's a great song. So I, I always find it on YouTube so I can link to the video for you guys. I'm watching the video and this this thing keeps showing up. In the video that's a thing that's literally a thing from Richard Bach's book Illusions, and it's doing something very similar to what it does in Bach's book. And I'm like, wow, that's that's interesting. So I'm like, well, I'll mention that at the end. Then I then I screened the calls, and the first call I screened was this person who I think could benefit from the book, the philosophy. The song and the video that goes with it. So can't keep a good man down. Um, I think you could change the words to can't keep a good person down. But in the story, it's a guy that's been scorned by his woman, so it's can't keep a good man down. But there's a line: "It thought you could break me and add me to your list, notch me on your gun. But let me tell notch me on your gun. But let me tell you this: I don't break that easily." And I think that a lot of times that's what people are trying to do to others when they put them down, when they're negative, etc. They're trying to break them. They want to drag them down to their level of misery so that they can be happy at the same level. They don't want them to be happier. Well, I don't want that person that called in with that first very heartfelt call to get broken. Don't break. Don't break. But understand the weakness in the people that are trying to break you. And understand that it's up to you whether or not you let something drag you down or whether you stand up and say, yeah, it's not happening. I've got my dreams. And if I fail in the pursuit of my dreams, then I will be happy that I have had the opportunity to pursue them. And if I succeed in them, I'll be happy in my success. And in real life, I'm going to have successes in my dreams and I'm going to have failures in my dreams but the journey and those successes that come are worth the failures. And I'm not going to live in regret for not taking a shot. You know? So, I just thought it all kind of came together. Like, all these things that I could give you, the books, the song, stories, philosophy, all had a confluence today. All had a synchronicity today. Which is why I want you to read Celestine Prophecy. You'll never look at coincidences as coincidences ever again, once you do. You dynamic energy of the universe. And we all have, I believe, a path we should be walking. And the closer we are to that path, the more the synchronicities exist that give us the opportunity to get down it. And the further we get from it, the less we seem to be helped. We're talking about people who just seem like they're lucky. Like everything just works out for them. It's because they're walking the right path. The caller that called in for the first call today, you're walking the right path. Adversity is always granted or, or, or always heaped upon people. Walking the right path by those that are so far from their own. When you're far from your own and you see people having it easy, they throw stuff in front of you to try to get you off track and drag you over to their path. They become comfortable in their path. Stay on yours. And all of you, stay on your path. Build that better life. And remember, it can't keep you down. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
5: I thought it was forever. I thought it would last. Gotta try to make it a page of my past. Didn't even say goodbye when you slammed that door Now I'm lying here alone in what once was our bed Trying to forget all the cruel words you said While the radio was playing What once was our favorite song Oh, enough is enough, I won't take any more I'm picking myself up off the floor Cause I can't keep a good man down Can't keep a good man down Oh no Can't keep a good man down Baby Can't keep a good man down Gonna dress up in the finest clothes that I own Take it to the streets I won't be lonely for long Gonna put on my best moves On every single woman I see Now you thought you could break me Add me to your list Notch me on your gun Let me tell you this I got news for you, baby I don't break that easily Cause you can't My friends, this world's going to see me smiling again. I'm taking some time to erase you from my memory. Don't write many letters, don't call me on the phone. Don't knock on my door, to you I'm not at home.